0: Jerry Mesa, kicking lawyer. Welcome to the Law Talk. As always, I want to remind you to like, follow, subscribe to the content. We are available on all social media platforms uh, as well as podcast platforms. You can listen to the audio format or watch us on YouTube and also Facebook. Uh, We're also on TikTok. Uh, We got Josh doing the dances on TikTok. All the dances. Lots of fun uh, dances on TikTok. And then also, NA the Bands, a local group of guys. We want you to follow them, support them. Their album, Inside My Head, is available for free. Wherever you listen to uh, music, uh, just check those guys out. It really helps them out. And Michelle Allen's a longtime sponsor of our show. If you're buying, selling, renting, leasing real estate, she'd be glad to help you out. She's also on the board uh, with the Chamber of Commerce. Good community leader, so uh, give her a holler. Uh, Mason's High Octane Martial Arts has been in Covington for 30 years, since '93, and we now have a second location in Millington. Visit MasonsMartialArts.com. We'd be glad to help you out with some lessons. And then we we're planning to open Jam Books and Records very, very soon. Hopefully before the end of this month. We'll see how that goes. But you can visit us on social media now. Lots of books and records. And then last but not least, Josh is glad to help you with online branding, social media, website design, et cetera. Just visit masonitemarketing.com. And joining me today is uh, when he came in earlier, the staff was like, you got a lost child here. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, then, and then when I saw it was you, I was like, yeah, he kind of has uh, was kinda a was kind of like a child of mine at one point because I've known you for so long. So,
1: well, I saw the fear in your eyes. I was standing there with the DNA. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Every well, man's I worst nightmare. I would have been honored
0: if it was you, Gunner. Yep, I appreciate. So, that. I know him as Gunner. I know he's uh, also as an adult now, Matt. But uh, we got Gunner Hewittson with us, and he has been a longtime student of mine. Did MMA, kickboxing, Taekwondo. Taught for me, uh, and then went into the Navy, and is mm-hmm. now an active. Uh, military guy officer so we and we appreciate your service there too gunner.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that.
0: So we I know we talked a little bit earlier but everything been going good? Uh very good.
1: Um really really the best it's ever been to be honest. It's nice. Uh, it's been pretty Well, pretty you were cool. kind of
0: raised though to be in the Navy.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a family legacy yeah. to be honest. My my family pretty much I don't know if I was coerced to go into the Navy, but uh, pretty much no other no other option for the military is mm-hmm. like if I tried to go any other branch, I think my mom might just give me alive. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, because uh, you're both your parents were yeah. were Navy. Folks. They met in the Navy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know that I knew that, but
1: yeah, they were actually uh, they were on the same ship back in the day, um, and then my mom was a little bit further in her career, mm-hmm. um, so when they decided to stay together, my dad went to the uh the dod service and mm-hmm. just followed my mom around so i got you and he
0: got out and your mom's a chief right she was a master chief, master she re- chief.
1: yeah she retired as a as an e9 here in millington because uh, there's the navy base down mm-hmm. there so um we pretty much settled down here in 2000 and you know she retired i think in 2006 2007 somewhere in yeah. there. yeah but uh, and then we stayed here yeah but um I, your your ad said 30 years of mason martial arts and i can't think of that i was born in 93 so <laughs> i don't know how that makes you feel and makes me feel great <laughs> when i met jerry he was i don't know probably what were you think 24
0: what year was it
1: i want to say like 2005 or 2006
0: oh i thought it was even before then <laughs> hey madeline you come in here with us if you want to Anyway,
1: I met her she was like 22, 23 I no, think. No, I think she's like 20. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I when was I was in 8th grade. In
0: in 05 I would have been uh 26. 04 was 25, so. Dang. <laughs> yeah. So uh, cuz I went through It seems like you were there. It Seems like you were there longer than that though because I think, so. I think I was 27 or 28 when I got divorced and uh I remember i just remember you because i think you were working for me at the time teaching. yeah
1: i think i had i had been there for a couple of years before mm-hmm. that so
0: well you know I, I talk about you a lot even though you don't think probably believe me or know that my ears burn all the time yeah yeah well <laughs> but it's it's usually bragging about you because mm-hmm. one one thing i liked about you gunner is you're a good person i assume you still are i had not gotten to talk to you in a while she, yeah her, we'll ask her about it <laughs> yeah but uh that was always a great an important component to me to being a good martial artist and obviously, physical skill is very important too. And uh, you had that, uh, had a lot of that also. You were very talented, striking and grappling. And mm-hmm. at this point, it definitely surpassed me in the grappling realm, <laughs> which is uh, I'm proud for you. I, that's always the uh, any good instructor. That's their goal, is for the student to surpass them. Uh, now, I, I would like to think and we may try it later. Uh, if I warm up, I could hang striking, but I don't know I, that I, I can hang.
1: I I'll be honest. I haven't I haven't sh- done any striking sparring probably since I left.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask why. Uh, I, I mean, I knew you always loved the jiu-jitsu, but you were so good at the, the striking, too. It's the hips. Really?
1: Yeah, I had uh, had some hip hip problems, had a couple mm. hip surgeries, and then I, I definitely noticed a, a limitation in my, my flexibility a lot, and mm. uh, I would get some pretty bad inflammation, so I kind of shied away from it. I still like hitting the back and stuff, but as far as um, like a striking martial art, it, it just kind of limited me a little bit, and I kind of gravitated towards the grappling a little bit yeah. more, I think.
0: Well, I mean, what I remember is, you know, when you were there helping me, we were, you were one of the MMA instructors. You were teaching taekwondo. And what I loved was when I was teaching the cops, because I was a cop. <laughs> and then we would bring Gunner in to do the defensive tactics. And it was one thing if I beat them up, because they just assumed I would i'm bigger and all that uh but you were so small at the time and so i would use you as the bad guy
1: yeah and then put
0: you in there and gunner would knock these grown men out great it was so funny to see the shock in their eyes when it just showed them you can't underestimate Mm -hmm. people but also it was a testament to your skill because you're whipping grown men you know what's funny is is i there was a few of them i I can't remember their names i know so
1: timothy you know timothy miles he helped Mm -hmm. us out with a few of them yeah yeah yeah. this this guy named carter i think uh, officer carter and he did the same thing, like, knock and clean out. We saw that guy at Taco Bell, like, probably, like, I don't know, a year later, and he was just, like, nervous around us, like, oh, like <laughs> I don't know, it was, it was like, we were just like, hey, how's it going? you remember us? He's like, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, like yeah. It's
0: <laughs> good, though. It teaches them a lesson they need yeah. to learn. It's better to learn in training than it is on the street, that, that there are people you can't underestimate.
1: Definitely. And it's, uh, it's, mm. it's definitely something, I imagine, and I've never been a cop, but I mm. imagine is uh, you never know what situation you're going to walk into, and who knows what, or... You know, who's cracked down on PCP or something. Well, when
0: I developed all that training for them back in the day, one of my—I was a patrol officer, too. Mm -hmm. So I worked on the street, and these were people that were potentially my backup. And so I set the program up with the hope of making sure that if you made it through it, it wasn't that, oh, you could just whip everybody. But you could at least hold your own in an actual fight because, you know, you know— We saw people that we would train. Mm -hmm. Some people were like, oh, I want to be a cage fighter. And they get punched in the mouth, and all of a sudden they don't want to be a cage fighter. (laughs) So you got to make sure they got that fight in them, that dog in them, um, or else maybe they don't need to be out there, Mm -hmm. you know, protecting other people. So anyway, that was kind of why it was so – you know, they've tamed it down a lot now. Like they don't hit them like that. You know, we were – we sent multiple people to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, broken ribs, broken a lot of stuff, because they would fight. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like – you're not trying to hurt them. You're not trying to hurt them, but you gotta—they gotta learn. And they, a lot of them go in there thinking because they're big or because of this or that that they have some advantage, and they just don't understand that in combat it's not like you think it is. No. So I wanted them to actually experience it, especially group combat where there's you know where there's, there's no more. It's fairness. not fair. Everything. Yeah. Is. So like again, <laughs> jujitsu—it's it's an awesome system, but better one-on-one. Yeah. You know than multiple people. And so you'd have some guys come in with grappling backgrounds and think, oh, I can wrestle. Yeah, but can you wrestle four people? You it's know? like
1: they realized at a certain point too. The most important thing was to protect their gun and like use everything they could to just save their own yeah, life, no matter what. Wait. So, yeah. well, anyway, that was a lot of fun. Do you Thank think you that as that. a, as you've seen as like a uh, like a defense attorney, the lack of that type of training has that? Do you think more like police? organizations need to do something like that more a little bit more intense. I
0: actually think it's probably more prevalent now that they actually do some martial mm-hmm. arts, especially jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's become much more mainstream and I think a lot of departments and officers do jiu-jitsu more regularly. I think the problem now is they're gun-shy to use it mm-hmm. because of the lawsuits that come. That's People what I'm ask. now I'm a defense lawyer and I'll even have clients come in and say that the officers use this too much force or use this or that. And a lot of times my analysis is, no, the officer probably didn't use enough force, honestly. Really? Yeah, because what people don't realize is law enforcement, they give you a legal order. Mm-hmm. If it's a legal order, they don't have to give it to you a second time. Mm-hmm. You know, if I say, hey, man, put your hands behind your back, yeah. or if something has given me pause and made me nervous and you don't do it, I have a right to then put hands on you. And so a lot of these cops, because of all the cameras and all the lawsuits, are so gun-shy. They're waiting way longer than I would have waited. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, honestly, now I probably wouldn't be able to be a cop because I would be too uh, much <laughs> Yeah, so so many lawsuits on me because I was going to do my job. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, and it, I even tell my clients it circles back to this. Most of the time, cops are not going to bother people if you're not doing wrong. Now, there's exceptions, but even when there's those exceptions, just comply, and then we'll fight them later in the courtroom. Yeah. I always say the fight is not in the street; the it's fight's in the, court. in the courtroom. And that's where I come in. So, yeah, I think they're doing a lot better at it. That's good. So, hey, in your other job, and I know it's probably limited what you can talk about, um, but what can you, just just tell us whatever you can on what your current uh, job entails, what you do. So,
1: at, right now I'm a, I'm in the Navy. I'm a commissioned officer. I'm a lieutenant, so that's an 03. Uh, I just picked up 04, which is lieutenant commander. I'll put that on next August because it's a, it's a year process once you get selected. Uh, but I'm an intelligence officer, so... I basically, it's a super rewarding job. I basically work with uh, all the intelligence agencies that are conglomerate. A lot of people don't know there's 18 intelligence agencies in the federal government, uh, to include all the military branches that add into that. But I basically work with all of them um, and predict, like produce products for um, uh, Navy commanders and operations and and fuse in intelligence into Navy operations.
0: Yeah, and so I can I'm going to attempt to relate a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have any clearance. There's no top secret, none of that. I don't know anything about all that. I don't know where the aliens are or any of that, right? But uh, I Closer have than you think. To, I have to keep, uh, probably, yeah. I have to keep client com- information confidential. Yeah. And sometimes people in the public or even like a case I have now is, is you know, sort of got a lot of uh, eyes on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get asked questions and then you're like... You you have to think through whether you can respond or not based on because you know more than they, than they know, mm-hmm. right? Do you find that a struggle sometimes? I do. It, it it definitely. I would say the the information
1: that you get on the more classified side really isn't more different than like stuff that you would see on the news. It just provides more context mm-hmm. and things like that. The more highlighting the the who the the intentions, the why, um, and a lot of things really aren't classified to protect the information it's more the sources and methods that it was collected with so mm. uh things that are, involve national security and things like that if it got out that we could do this or that um but really it does become kind of hard especially like when you come home and people ask you about like current events and stuff you're like well I, I don't know where i read that so i'm just gonna act dumb on it and act like i don't know anything about it but um and two, it it's hard to as an intelligence professional you kind of have to Stay out biases when you read news and stuff because you mm. know every every news agency has their own bias and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But um, and there's bias inside the intelligence community. Unfortunately, it, it does happen. But um, it does like it does have a sometimes a problem with you know especially when people start trying to ask you about current events because everybody wants to know about you know the U- uh, Ukraine situation or the the thing happening with Israel and Hamas. And I'm like well, I, don't, I can't really remember where I read this. So I'm probably just gonna act dumb on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and so for folks that don't know, you're fluent in Russian and Spanish. Spanish, right? As well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice.
1: Yeah, I uh, I graduated Covington High School, so I'm a I am a local boy. Mm-hmm. Um, graduated Covington High School in 2011. Went to University of Memphis and got a degree in Russian Spanish, uh, and then joined the Navy right out of college. So I commissioned through a program. Mm-hmm. Um, I was
0: honored to be in your pinning. You were, yeah. Um,
1: what did you, I can't remember. What you, did you give me? You gave me the flag, didn't you? You gave me the flag.
0: Yeah, I got a picture of that, and I'm way fatter. Yeah, (laughs) picture. Um,
1: No, you were still you. you I Maybe was, you
0: just didn't have as, as good-looking skin. I was a little I thicker. I was a little yeah. thicker. It's, it's okay. I, I, I'm always cool with... I mean, normally my body shape reflects whatever I'm doing at the moment. It's mm-hmm. you know, so like I'm powerlifting and I got big. Yeah, you're just you know, powerlifting. Power belly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, now I'm it was getting Vulcan's skinny season. for this Rocky thing. Yeah. But, but anyway, yeah, I was honored. To, I, I don't know if you know this. You know that you had listed me uh for them to call about your i guess your background check yeah they called me
1: oh they called you yeah 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 they're they're usually really good about that yeah. i told them put. that
0: i thought you were a russian spy oh, and, uh, I'm just no kidding. wonder it took so long no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. No, like... i told them you're one of the most trustworthy people that i'd ever known oh, i appreciate it uh yeah i would, I well, would they might trust call you again i told them that i would trust you i remember telling them this that i would the most valuable thing to me was my children and i said he's one of the only people i would trust with my children so
1: i appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I don't even
0: remember where I was. Well, you were just going a long way. So then you, oh, you got in the Navy.
1: I got in the Navy. I actually didn't commission as an intel officer at first. I commissioned as what's called a surface warfare officer, which I imagine your son deals with a lot. It's mm. basically officers on ships uh, mm. in charge of the, the shipboard personnel uh, in various different jobs. But I had a contract that basically said I'll do that for two or three years, and then I'll automatically switch to the intelligence community once I do that. So I was on a ship for my first three Is years. Is
2: that SWIC or? SWO. 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 Surface SWO. Warfare okay. Officer.
1: Um, so I had to I had to go on the ship. Had to cut my teeth on there. And yeah, and what ships?
0: What kind of ships were you on?
1: I was on the USS Way City. It's a cruiser, CG sixty six. She she decommissioned, so it makes me feel a little old. But she was she was old when I got on her. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't doesn't surprise me that she decommissioned. But that was my first ship, and then I did my tour there. I loved it. Um, but I was glad to switch over, and then I went to the intelligence community after that, and mm. I've done various different tours throughout the intelligence
0: community. Yeah, and you've been stationed all around, too. Oh, very much so. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's one thing I've I've really loved about the Navy um, is the exposure to the world, really, is, mm. is the perspective you get throughout the world and the different tours you do. And like you said, you, you get exposed to things, and sometimes I catch myself, you, you don't really realize that what you're doing is unique in a way because everyone's doing it, that mm. you're around, you're – in your circle of everyone that does the same job as you. so, But when you look at it from an outside perspective, like you said, you're seeing and doing things that no one else will ever.
0: Yeah, I mean, even just like you just mentioned, being stationed on a battleship, Mm -hmm. you know, most people will never experience that. They'll watch movies about it because they've never experienced it. So, yeah, you can't under, uh, you know, you're grown now. I can't preach to you. But don't undervalue the experiences that you're getting. And it doesn't sound like you are. But you have to also realize that other people – they're like, oh wow, you know, done X, Y, and Z. And that's what I try to I tell was telling Alex. Yep. So yeah. my son, who's enlisted mm-hmm. and uh, is now on the Carl Vinson, and at they're underway right now. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's a little flustered because he's not exactly doing what he would wanted to do. But it's still life experience yep. that other people are not going to get. How many people can say they have been deployed on an aircraft carrier? You know. And yep. anyway, so it, that that's cool stuff. So where all have you been? I don't know if you can tell or oh, not or definitely. care, but where you've been stationed?
1: Um, stationed. So. Really, I've only really been stationed in OCONUS, but I've done a lot of deployments outside. Uh, I've done, I've been a station in OCONUS, sorry, and then just deployed, done
0: a bunch of deployments. Because you just outside. got back from the Philippines. Oh, I was in Guam. in Guam. Guam. Yeah. Okay, I, I couldn't remember. Yeah. I knew it was somewhere. Hardship
1: deployments, ninety degrees in palm trees. But, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I saw you doing jiu-jitsu over there a lot. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I always try to find a martial arts gym wherever I go. It's, especially jiu-jitsu. It's probably the one of the anchors I have in my life. And and really, I I pretty much any success I have pretty much comes back to your martial arts school really well i appreciate you saying that. no really like all throughout high school all throughout college it was really kind of the lessons and the martial arts spirit that you kind of put into me and the trust that you put in me as an instructor followed me throughout my whole navy career uh and i it's something i think about every day and she's probably sick of hearing to be honest um but it's uh i think it's something unique that has grown me as a person and people always ask like how and things like, you know, why don't you drink? Why don't you do this? I, I've never drank alcohol, and people think I'm Mormon, but I'm mm-hmm. not Mormon, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing that there's anything wrong with that, but I, uh, it's, it comes back to the martial arts. Mm-hmm. It, it does. Is, is, I don't think you realize when I was in high school, it was like, if I was even thinking about, you know, going to a party or something like that, I would, I would feel so guilty because i would think about you in the martial arts school and Mm -hmm. i'm like i got to represent it better so you know i'd come to the gym instead i'd I'd train martial arts so it's something that that always um it gave me perspective and one thing i think martial arts gives to people that sets them aside from uh, other people is um Mm self-awareness is being able to recognize yourself and your flaws and what you need to work on and give yourself a path to always work on that as a person and it's not just learning how to kick and punch and choke people it's growing yourself as a person leaving your problems in your shoes when you go on the mat and then coming back to them as a better person so that's something that i think about daily that i take in my life and um and i really think that's a big contributor to where i am now to be honest well i
0: appreciate that well i would say it goes both ways Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times especially during that phase that you're talking about of my own life you know i'm I, there were things that i was interested in doing sometimes that maybe weren't the best examples and so then i wouldn't do them mm. and then sometimes i did yeah. but anyway <laughs> i was always thinking about how it would affect my my students like i used to not drink at all mm-hmm. and part of that especially not locally and even when i started to where i was trying to get into the bourbon world a little bit I wouldn't do that openly in front of the students because I didn't want a kid to see me. Yeah, You know, and then even though it's fine, I think it's okay, yeah, definitely. you know, with moderation, I-, I didn't want a kid to get a bad impression now. So then now I'm sort of trying to step. It's funny how how life evolves, how we have these phases. So now I'm in this senior master position, right? Yep. So I'm trying to step into this different level of leadership role, probably like you were experiencing as you advance as an officer. and. It's new responsibilities, new position, but you're really leading the leaders. Yep. It's not so much about leading the rank and file now for me and so it's just a different uh, I'm just learning that you know differently now too. But, but my point was, I really appreciate you saying all that, but it really does go both ways. If you have loyal students that are committed to you, that motivates you to be committed to them and try Definitely. to be a better person. And I do agree with you because I'm a few years ahead of you on a lot of that uh, stuff is that part of why I'm where I am and do the things that I do is because of what I learned in martial arts. You know, and it, it I, so often people focus on the physical side of it, yeah. which I think is important. And, and I think it's not important in that you and I can go and whip everybody, which we could. But my point, <laughs> uh, I think what's important. I'm kind of old myself now. I, don't know, uh, I so. think we would hang all right. It'd yeah. probably be fun. Yeah. Maybe we need to go pick a bar fight when we leave. <laughs> but anyway, what, what uh, see, I'm setting such a good example. Yeah, good. What I was going to say is the physical thing, though, if you're still maintaining physical skill it just shows that you really do still have discipline and self-control you may not be able to go whip everybody Mm -hmm. but you still have a physical presence and helps your confidence and shows that you are living those life skills so that's why i still even at 44 look at okay you're a master well if you're 400 pounds you know are you really really a master master? because you got a part of being a master is You're supposed to have had some Mm self-mastery, and uh, that goes back to physical skill. So, yeah, the discipline, and the discipline carries in everything you do. So, yeah, not to do a sales pitch on martial arts because we're both probably biased on that, but it's because it's effective. The life skills carry into everything else you do, and if you never fight a day in your life, the vehicle, the martial arts for learning those life skills is going to make you a better, um, ultimately, hopefully, a better human. You know, I, so, I definitely agree. Yeah, but I, pr- I appreciate you saying all that. So saying all those wonderful things about me, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, uh, this nice young lady that you have with us oh, here? Who doesn't nervous. want to be on the podcast?
1: This is Teresa. Uh, this is my 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 girlfriend. We've been dating since February. So um, she's from California. Sorry, I was, was the that. She's from California and she moved to Washington D.C. I'm I'm stationed in Washington D.C. right now. You're
0: not Navy though. You're uh, oh, she's no. Uh-uh. Did. <laughs> okay, no cool. She's
1: actually a facility administrator for a Davita Dialysis Clinic. So oh, okay. She, she runs the healthcare administration side for a clinic.
0: Well, you get along with my wife then, yeah. who's sitting here, Madeline. So Madeline is the uh, I'm going to butcher what you are exactly. So she's a nurse practitioner now too, but that's not what she does. You, what what, are you, what is your title, uh, Madeline? I think that's off. Yeah, you are the person that makes what? sure in the hospital everyone is complying with what they're supposed to comply with is that is that right and you do other (laughs) things that are amazing put jerry on the hot seat quality director director, risk director director, and and the patient advocate that's right you handle all the complaints and all the problem stuff wow kind of like me yeah but she did just finish nurse practitioner school and got licensed, so she's wow. she's a nurse practitioner now. I try to get her I try to get her to prescribe me all the steroids and she won't do it. So. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway. All the yeah, so she's kind of familiar she at one point when you were doing the Baptist uh, uh corporate thing, were there dialysis clinics in what you were running? No, uh, we just did oncology and hematology. Oncology and hematology.
1: Yeah, she actually um so she has her her master's in business administration, but she's going back to school. She's going to nursing school, so she's going back to to get a nursing degree because she wants to to go through that. So she actually starts in here probably in what like twenty days or so. Yeah. So she's gonna try to transition to that side of it um, and do. I'm, I'm not. I think your overall goal is to do nurse practitioner as well, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, so holler <laughs> at her.
0: Or do you like to like you like helping people? Like just because you're the reason I say that is this. What I have found is. Uh, either people, like for instance, I will help people, right? But I help people, and this is going to sound really bad, but I'm just being honest. I will help people because I like winning. <laughs> and so it, I'll, it ends up helping them, but my main focus is that I want to win, right? Madeline, on the other hand, will help people even if there was no money or nothing. She just wants to help people, right? Because she's a better person than I am, uh, which is true and okay but you anyway please I'm you just wanted to win is that? <laughs> uh, I don't know that it was it was different I think at the time I mean I enjoyed the. I enjoy helping people I don't mean to mislead it that it's not a, a you know a benefit for me there but I enjoyed um, being able to be the one that made the decisions that yeah. helped people I was in charge I always looked at it like this I always viewed it as, I guess I really did have sort of a superhero complex because I was like, if I were in that room with a gun to my head, who would I want coming in to get me? I'd Mm -hmm. want me. Yeah. I knew that I would do whatever's necessary to complete the mission. And so I looked at it that I had a duty almost because I was, I really did view that I was sort of had a unique, because of all the training and everything, it made me somewhat unique and I had a skill set other people didn't have. So I viewed that as I could go into a situation that was very dangerous and hopefully get out where no one was hurt. I I didn't have to prove anything. Mm -hmm. You know, if I fought someone, it wasn't because I wanted to whip people. It was because it it was called for. Because I had enough self-control and enough confidence, borderline arrogance, (laughs) that I wouldn't fight unless I just had to. You know, like other people would go in with a chip on their shoulder, and I, that was never a reason that I used force. So anyway, the cop thing for me was kind of like that, but I still viewed it almost as a win because I was the best suited to handle the situation. That makes sense. too, that the only reason people
3: would do something is for, like, money or power. And, like, there are people that just do stuff kindness of their heart.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't, we've had a, these uh, uh, sort of ethics-based discussions before, maybe philosophical discussions that I think that most people are motivated by power, money, or fame, mm-hmm. usually. And there are people, I think, that are motivated by altruistic reasons, but because those po- people don't have power, money, or fame, don't they don't really – uh, maybe they don't really push a whole lot of real change or or, or uh, inflict change in the uh, – positive change in the world because they lack those three. You know, there's exceptions. But if you think about it, how many people that you, can you think of that have really done extreme good or really changed a whole lot of stuff and didn't have power, money, or fame? Not a lot. You know, it's not a lot. Yeah, um, a few. But that was anyway. We've talked about that, so I, I, I'm fine with altruistic motivations. I just uh, I think it's somewhere along the line. That's why I think I, I, not to keep talking on it. But me and my partner Brian, have you ever met I him? I haven't met Brian, Brian yet. Sh- so Brian, honestly, I can't believe I would say this. But in some ways he's more altruistic than I am. He likes to just help people and be friends with people. He's mm-hmm. motivated by having friends. That makes sense. Like he would do everything for free just because you're there as his friend, right? Whereas I today, I was in court today and there's a guy was on the calendar and it said plea only. Well, I talked to the staff and I was go, like, I don't remember meeting this guy. He didn't hire us and they go, Well, Brian said that he talked to him and he didn't have any money and he just wanted us to walk him through the plea. Well, it's never that simple. Yeah. So I get there and I'm like, look, I know you talked to Brian. This is the plea. If you don't dis- if you don't agree with it though, you got to hire us, man. I'm not going to do all this work if we well sure enough he doesn't want to agree to the plea. So I'm like, but my point is, you know, Brian would have went ahead and done it anyway. But you got to th- the point in saying that was this. Brian can be that way because I'm here. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to make sure we still get paid. I'm going to make sure we still have a business that runs and he can go be altruistic. So we work well together that way cuz we kind of complement that component. So I don't know when we get on that tangent. Oh, yeah, because I was asking, what are you?
2: What do I, yeah. do, I do it? Yeah. Um, we, it's not like a power thing. It's <laughs> definitely not a power thing because sometimes you would work so hard for these patients. And some of them are not coherent to understand that you're trying to help them, For I do it because I, when I first started, I was surrounded by people who were doing it, which I feel like it was for the wrong reasons, for money, for a paycheck. I don't think that someone should get into healthcare if it's just for a paycheck. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. But empathy, I feel like healthcare can use a lot more empathy than just a business. So that's why I want to do it.
0: I think that's great. I think that healthcare needs folks like y'all that actually care about people.
2: And that's where I started. (laughs) I started with just a simple, like, I wanted to be a, I got a degree in psychology, my bachelor's. And then I did, like, just a simple patient care technician and then I moved, like, slowly moved up to, like, like having my own clinic, and I get to see all that different route of, you know, being that patient care technician where you get to see your patients, you get to see their struggles, and then not quite comprehending of, like, why are we not giving these patients more resources? Why am I not given more resources as someone who has to get up at 2 a.m. and be with these patients until 4 p.m.? The resources but now being in like the leadership role is totally different where i have to deliver that news of like i don't have the resources for you let's make a best what we have so i get both sides of it mm. yeah
0: what do you think madeline because you kind of got a balance of it in the leadership role and then uh like do you see the benefit you you deal with people that are more on it for the money the that one's not on that one doesn't work we had to swap it out so you have to use my mic
3: Come here. Can you hear me well, I got my I got my stuff you got all <laughs> <shit> over here. <laughs> Gotta have so, the Mandalorian. I think it's um, I think the system is broken. I think for healthcare, for as sick as people are nowadays, because most people are not well. Like a good example of that is pregnant women. Ten years ago, like most pregnant women were not sick people delivering babies. They were. Healthy people delivering babies and then every once in a while you'd have a sick person mm. now most pregnant women are sick somehow they have high blood pressure they're pre-diabetic or diabetic they've got thyroid issues you know the mental health problems are on the rise so now most pregnant women are sick people too but it's like that in every place that you look in healthcare. so people don't take care of themselves as well they're sicker and sicker like it's a combination of lifestyle choices and then uh, insurance. There's so many. Like, yeah. once you get into leadership roles and you start looking externally from, like, the actual healthcare unit into all the things that go into running the hospitals or running the the companies, like, there's all of these different entities just leeching money off of the healthcare system. Like, I'm not anti-pharmacy, but. Like, the pharmaceutical industry just, like, pours money into trying to get you to bring drugs into your facility. Like, that's just one example. Like, everything is like this. So, they'll pay these drug reps more than nurses are getting paid to take care of the patients to come into the facilities to get you to use their drugs. Well, just do away with the drug reps. we got to use the drugs anyways. Like... Yeah, we've got to have the drugs to take care of patients. Just put a white paper and a commercial out about how great your drug is, and, like, the doctors will start using it. There's no reason to have, like, all this money poured in to the the PR part of that stuff. but the pushback
0: is if you didn't have all that money involved, would that drug been developed commercially? Why would they spend the money and time to develop these drugs that are effective if there's not the benefit of commercial gain?
2: I think what she was trying to say is, e- either way, we're gonna use these drugs. So, like as as yeah, nurse practitioners, physicians, either way, they're gonna know about these drugs. But when, and I have nothing against you know, um, getting free food because they bring free food whenever they advertise. <laughs> yeah. They advertise um, medication to us. I Have nothing against them. They're honestly just making a living as well. It's just how much the resources are to it when it could be distributed between other like sectors of the healthcare system. So either I, I way, d- we're going to use the. Drugs. I don't disagree;
0: you would use it, but I would say there's prob I'm just guessing, and I'm okay, playing well, devil's let's, advocate. Well, let's,
3: right? let's let's give an easier example for uh-huh. people to understand: uh-huh. is insurance and pre-authorizations because yeah. screw a pre-authorization. Okay, so a doctor says you need a CAT scan of your belly.
0: See Gunner, you just get them on a hot topic. No, it's good. No. I'm learning something
3: you need it you you have he thinks you might have cancer or you might just have Crohn's disease or like something easy that you can treat with Mm -hmm. a medicine so you need to rule that out Mm -hmm. well your insurance is a crap insurance that you're paying a whole lot of money for every month anyways so you should be able to get this cat scan but the insurance company says if the doctor doesn't document correctly in the chart with the right CPT codes then you can't get your cat scan timely so they'll deny your cat scan and you'll have to go back, and the doctor has to waste time doing a different pre-authorization, following some more paperwork. It kicks it all down the road. Then your office staff at the doctor's office end up, everything's just, all the costs are just elevated because then the office staff have to take more time and waste their time to get the pre-authorization pushed through. Like, oncology was the worst I've ever seen any kind of like, Silos in healthcare because what those people need, they need so fast, and the turnaround has to be so fast to like literally save their lives. And insurance companies can hold up like just basic testing that if you, you know, not even if you were like a millionaire, but if you were in upper middle class, you could just pay out of pocket for and go get for a couple thousand dollars. And the insurance companies will be like, no we need more documentation or we need a peer-to-peer and you get on the phone with another doctor that has no idea about anything oncology they were like a podiatrist by trade and has no idea what the oncologist even talking about and they can't give you a good answer if you need what you need or not they just have a checklist the insurance company's giving them to approve or deny you like it's a big huge racket that wastes a whole bunch of time when the doctors and the nurses should be able to actually take care of the patients in front of them, instead of having to nurse a, a billing and coding system.
1: So, as a nurse and as a healthcare worker, do you guys think that it's one of those professions that people go in with altruistic type motivations, where they're like, "I want to go in, I want to help people." They kind of have this like built-up vision of what being a nurse or a doctor is, and then you kind of peel back the onion and see behind the the door and the red tape of what it actually takes. And do you think that? Takes away from people's idea of it, and they kind of get run down by the system itself, and like lose motivation, uh, and kind of get sucked into that. What do
2: you think? I I can see why some people will definitely like. At one point, I mean, I remember transitioning from like direct patient care all the way over to leadership. I would sit in my car for like at least an hour before work and just cry (laughs) before I go in. That's sad. I, I can actually like see that, but. I think some people just like for me I found a different motivation if it's like if I'm not gonna help these patients and I give up on them then it's just yes there's different layers and sometimes it's not especially when it comes to like a clinic where I can't just go up to my team and be like hey folks I you know we're gonna have to run down on ratios today because you know we don't have the budget or the labor budget today I can't just say that to them I have to word it a specific way for them for to not you know for them to keep working and it's all about teammate morale and all of that stuff too so there's a lot I do get tired of it but you sit back and sometimes the smallest thing makes you smile like just a patient that you didn't I told you this the other day like I was so happy a patient I literally thought he could not talk and then this. I walked by and he's like can I have a bar and I was like a protein bar <laughs> he's like he was so happy and that, that's just like made my week so yeah it does happen pretty often especially when you move up the ladder a little bit more and you get more exposure to like why things are and like you want to fix it but like I think I agree with you like you have to have three like one of three things in order to fix a problem Mm -hmm. and it's it takes more than just one person at that point
0: yeah I don't know that any of us know the answer obviously this is something that people talk about a lot on healthcare. uh it's interesting to look at other models um other uh, government models of health care and other nations
1: don't look at the military as healthcare that's yeah.
0: well it <laughs> that, that's that's still sort of and I mean well that's a good example because in some ways it's sort of a socialist setup you know it's yeah. government funded and you get whatever you get basically yep. Yep. but it's a that's again why I think you got to strike a balance because if you go to like government uh, you know like universal health care or something or some guaranteed fundamental level health care people are still gonna fuss that it's not a substantial it's not substantial enough and that people with more money are getting better health care something but that's just going to always be the case Mm -hmm. and then i don't know the answer either like you were talking about that a lot of the problems that people have you've pregnant women come in with health issues and you did say it's a lot of times life life choices part of that's because we've been fed by both big food and big pharma that it's just like you and i discuss all the time i eat carnivore diet now is it good I i think it's good Like, do you feel good, though? Yeah, I I feel better. I'm in better shape. Uh, Now, my cholesterol is high, Mm. but I think we've been fed that your cholesterol is—you shouldn't have high cholesterol. And although I get that there's a correlation between high cholesterol and heart disease, I think that we've been fed so much by big food, wanting us to eat processed stuff, that uh, they—you know, think about it. Just over the last 30 years, you know, we went from—we were not, not supposed to have milk. Avoid saturated fat. All these Bread things that I don't and, think are accurate, and mm-hmm. instead, let's eat all this processed junk. You know, and now we have all these autoimmune disorders that we didn't used to have. We got uh, heart disease is crazy. This, all these things. especially Plastics in is another big one. Like yeah, plastics in your food. Yeah, and then you got to get pre workout that you can drink all the time. Anyway, she ba-
1: she banned me from those. I'm not allowed to have them anymore.
0: That's my last big vice. Like I hadn't had I had bourbon for the first time. I hadn't had bourbon in like five weeks since we left the restaurant. And uh, I had some last night, and it was uh, it it hit me because I haven't been drinking it. But like these, I'm addicted to. Are those the
1: Celsius or the? These are
0: pre workouts. Oh Uh, yeah, it's amino energy, and I drink uh, three of them a day. It's bad. It's like six cups of coffee.
1: I remember as long as you came in with. An eight-ounce Red Bull in your hand. I used
0: to be addicted teaching to the Red Bull. The, teaching right.
1: the tiny tigers, I yeah, was like, "It's yeah. going to be a good it's day." If you didn't day. have the Red I was Bull, was be, you're right. Yeah, you might kill a kid. I don't the, know. Uh, the
0: Red Bull <laughs> ended up burning a hole in my stomach. Really? Yeah. And in, in law school, I was having some serious issues, and that's what it was. Mm. So I managed to quit drinking any of that kind of stuff for like six months. But then the law school kind of mandated Man, caffeine. They're delicious. Yeah, so I switched to this. Was very low. Uh, it's way different than the Red Bull. It's really just caffeine and. Um, Amino energy, uh, it's, amino okay. acids. That's all it is. But anyway, so I digress. Well, well, I appreciate you, ladies, giving us some feedback on the healthcare stuff because that's not something that uh, uh, I'm good at. Or, I'm
1: definitely. I have no experience
0: yeah. in it. I'm, I'm very interested in it though because I think it's a big problem, and it's always interested me on the na- internet on the national level when the like you know presidential elections and stuff when they go to talking about healthcare.
3: Well, I think one of the shifts is if we could start a start shifting to a payer system that pays for prevention instead of.
0: Yeah, I agree Instead with you. Of uh, you know, for
3: outcome, my my uh,
0: really... my idol Joe Rogan. You know, he talked about that on his uh, yeah on well, his I podcast heard Joe a Rogan's
3: lot. podcast on prevention? <laughs> no, yeah. no.
0: it's talking about how COVID. It, he was talking about on COVID how we're wanting to get everybody to take this shot. Why aren't we talking about how about not be fat? Yeah, you know, yeah. how about be in better shape? Because if you look at them, they all had comorbidity factors. Most of them, a lot, a lot of the people that died from COVID had comorbidity factors that led to complications. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm not saying don't take... I took the shot. I'm vaccinated. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying, but why is the focus so much on that and not on, hey, let's be healthier? Yeah. You know, that, that's what I'm talking about is what he was saying.
1: They put the amount of resources into promoting healthy lifestyles and yeah, giving yeah. people resources for healthy lifestyles. It could it could probably help out more. I yeah.
0: I think that that would be good for everybody. So, uh, do you You know, uh, not to change the topic, but I uh, just thought about it. So you're an officer, so you eat better than everybody, right? No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a,
1: a common misconception. And, well...
0: It, he says that my son's enlisted. Yeah. He's eating the bologna sandwich yeah. over there. <laughs> hey, they got they got
1: bologna sandwiches in, in the in the officers mess. Um no, we just have separate dining facilities more on the like, if you're on a ship you'll have a you know you have the wardroom which mm-hmm. is like where the officers eat and then you have um like um uh, where the enlisted eat but um a lot of the enlisted ended up they end up working in the wardroom kind of like a shift thing. I don't know if your son's told you about that. They do they call it mess duty where they they actually go and, and they cook and clean inside where the officers live so um but for my i've i've eaten in both um I, I always that's my thing too is like when i was on ships i would always go down and and have lunch or dinner with my guys too because you know if we eat around the same time sometimes i just won't eat in the wardroom. i'll go down and eat in the mess decks uh and another thing like self-awareness and perspective and stuff you know if you're gonna lead somebody you gotta know how they live and you know what goes through their mind um i lived in when i was on the ship. Uh, One of the benefits of being on a smaller ship uh, was—I don't want to say it's a benefit, but you get a little bit more perspective than you were on the bigger ships because on the bigger ships, like a carrier, there's all sorts of accommodations, um, and the separation of rank becomes—it's easier because there is more space, if that makes sense. Where on the smaller ships, for example, when I was there as a a young 01, there wasn't enough room for us where all the officers stay. so they put us uh, in this overflow berthing, basically down in deck berthing, which is like, you know— where a, a large pool of the enlisted are. So I was sleeping in deck berthing for mm. 16 months of my first tour, uh, and I feel like that gave me a lot of perspective um, because you're not up there with all the officers; you're you're, you're down below with with everybody else. So, um, and I that type of perspective has carried throughout my career. Like, oh, I try to try to never lose sight of you know, hey, it's not. What I see every day is not what everybody else sees every day. It's not what goes through their mind every day. So. Um, but, yes, uh, I wouldn't say the food's different, though. Uh, I, it's the same menu. It's just served to you <laughs> differently, I guess. But, you know, they, they, they bring out the caviar every once in a while. Yeah, once. yeah, so yeah. It's, it's
0: not no, <laughs> I, so it's funny because Brian, who, I can't believe you haven't really met or guys to know him. Brian was Air Force okay. officer. Oh, he's eating and good he, then. He left as a major. Yeah, oh, okay. And he told me one time uh, that he was in – I want to say Iraq, maybe, or somewhere around there. Saudi Arabia. Is, I, don't, I don't know where it was. Wherever there was an air force base over there. Qatar. I've, I've maybe, there. Maybe that's where it was. Yeah. He said he's over there, and it was mostly. It might have even been. It was either an army or air force, or not air. It was not an air force base. They were there for some kind of support deal. So they get there, and there's no uh, internet or no, like, separate place for them. Yeah. So they called their uh, supervisor, and, like, the next day they had built out this whole tent section just for them <laughs> and had flown in a TV and set up internet and stuff for them so they could, like, watch. And he said it was just the two of them. Yeah. So they're just sitting there. And they get, and everybody else is sleeping, like, in the sand.
1: That's <laughs> and, the Air Force for you, yeah. though. Yeah, they get this, the good stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah he, he did say that they had better accommodations usually.
1: But yeah, the Air Force, uh, I, if I could do it all over again, I might. I don't right. know. I can't bring myself to say I'll, I'd join the Air Force, but uh, seeing seeing uh, I've worked with a lot of Air Force intelligence and, and things like that, and I'm just like, man, y- y'all do it right.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I told you. I got to do, it wasn't a Tiger cruise, but I got to do one of the day cruises. Oh, on the it. carrier? Yeah, on the carrier, and they did an air show out there. Uh, it, well, aside from the fact that I had to let the lawyer in me uh, lay down a second because of all the liability, because the navy didn't care, but they had 500 parents on the flight deck wow. with a live flight show. I'm talking about that jet was probably from here to that door, and the cable you feel catching the heat? Them. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that thing. I didn't. I didn't. You know, until you're there and experience it. You know, again, y'all would take it for granted seeing it, but I had never been that close to that kind of stuff. And that thing took off, and and then I didn't realize how bad the ship will list. Yep. While that thing's coming in like a freaking raptor, yep. just that plane, and then I was so impressed with those pilots, able to land and take off like that. And they do
1: like it thing. at night too; it's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. They did
0: it over and over while we were there. They would they would land it, pull it back, the burn thing or whatever it is behind it, turn around, take back off. It was very impressive. Anyway, um, uh, that that wasn't my point. Um, I forgot what my point was going to be. I got distracted by the jets. Uh, oh, that's what I was going to say. I told Brian after the fact that I used to think because Air Force specializes in airplanes, yep. they must be the best. But those Navy pilots, man. Pretty impressive. Very yeah. impressive. Uh, I mean, it's I think it's arguable they're the best to be able to land under those conditions. Yeah. And
1: they mess up, too, sometimes. You know, yeah. like, planes go in the drink sometimes. And, I mean, they had yeah. one recent one of the F-35s, one over the side. That was, think, yeah, but wasn't the years Air Force ago?
0: that lost one? Who was uh, it that lost? That no, was the Marine Corps. It was it Marine Corps? Uh, okay, they lost it. It's like, hey guys, we're looking for a jet. Yeah, it's uh, jet. if you see it, call $7 this number. billion billion dollar plane. Uh, yeah, know where it's at. That's
1: unfortunate, and, yeah. and things like that happen. I mean, it's it's a hard profession, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm I couldn't imagine. No, I couldn't imagine trying to land on a carrier. It's I've seen it many times, and it, it impresses me every time I see it. I've actually gotten to go up in uh, in a double seater F eighteen before mm-hmm. and, and fly around and go for a ride before, and it was uh,
0: how are those G's.
1: I picked the right profession, you know, on the ground <laughs> yeah, okay. and, you know, not, you know, the air sickness is it gets to you, yeah, but, uh, yeah. you know, all to them for, for doing stuff like that. But I could see where they get addicted to it. Super mm-hmm. fun. Um, but you know, a lot of training and I don't know if I would want to do that over the water though. It's yeah. And at, at night, I don't know how they do it at night. Um, I've seen a lot of videos. I've watched them do it at night mm-hmm. and they, they basically do it blind. Huh? Mm-hmm. I know the jets now are pretty sophisticated. They can kind of go on glide slope and stuff almost like on autopilot and mm-hmm. automatically but eh, it's not for me
0: yeah it's so scary <laughs>
1: and that's that's one thing i like about my profession i've, I've touched almost every calm warfare areas mm-hmm. but every kind of section of the navy I've, I've kind of worked with um and done intelligence work with almost every uh, aspect of the navy whether it be aviation surface warfare um, expeditionary special warfare the seals i've kind of touched every little piece of it so that's that's one thing I like about it it's pretty dynamic in that and how sense. long have
0: you been in now uh coming up on nine years and so you talk about it, your profession you plan on staying career
1: uh, since I picked up lieutenant commander I, I think I might stick it out for a little bit longer mm-hmm. they're actually going to send me to uh in DC National Intelligence University to get my master's degree so I'm going to you know if the Navy pays for my master's I might just stick oh, nice. around and you know because I'll have a i will have a have to do a couple more years after that anymore anyways but uh, it's been good to me and it's given me a lot of things in life and I actually have no qualms with you know the only I guess the hardest part of about the military is the moving around so mm-hmm. but if you I kind of grew up that way with my mom anyway mm-hmm. my sister hates it she didn't she never wanted any part of it but I always saw it as kind of an adventure the moving is hard uh the deployments can be hard uh you know we went through we just started our relationship I went on a uh, five or six month deployment, so uh it's kind of the unfortunate part but um and it can be like you go on deployment, and you have just like with your son, you have no contact for yeah. you know two or three months, and I guess that's the hardest part. It can be hard on relationships and families and stuff, but uh, I I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I don't really have any uh, qualms with the lifestyle to be honest.
0: Nice, and then I would assume there's good options in the private sector once you get out when you're intel
1: there is um and actually they the navy intel community has i'm going to say a retention problem um but you know because just like in any um any trade you know the more they train somebody in a specialty that is needed you know the outside civilian world you don't have to move anymore you know you mm-hmm. can get you can make the same amount of money or more um, so it becomes very attractive to people, especially um, young officers that, you know, they don't know if they want to stay in to make O4 and above. That You know, they're like, hey, I got my my six years of experience and leadership at a departmental level. This company, this three-letter agency says that I can come in at, you know, making 110, which is more than I make as, you know, as you make as an O2 or an O3. And you're like, heck, hey, heck yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, you know, I can stay in one place for the next 10 years and not move. I'll do it. So. Mm. Uh, it becomes pretty hard to keep people around, um, especially as you get, like, 04 and above because they can just get out. But um, I think that it does make it special in the sense that people that, that do stay do it because they, they, like the, they like the military and they like what it does. So, uh, And I've loved it so far. So,
0: Well, good. Well, I guess I got one last question I'll ask you if it didn't lead to some tangent, no. <laughs> which happens. Uh, and I've asked this of my son. I'm curious to hear what you say. And you may not be able to answer it. Uh, but the question is, from your perspective as an officer in the military, You're going to give me a biased answer. As I Mm. I ask the question, I realize it's going to be a biased answer. Do you feel that our military is still the superior military in the world?
1: That's a tough one. Um, And it's kind of a nuanced answer, yes and no, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially as, you know, what I can say is, you know, I do study other nations' militaries and their geopolitical situations. I'm supposed to be an expert in them in, in many different regards. Um, but there are other nations and in, in to downgrade and downplay other world powers and their ability their military capability, their intentions and things like that um as you know as you would think myota mususashi said never you know you don't want to underestimate your adversary mm. um and that that couldn't be more true with a lot of the superpowers is you know there's there's some things that they are much better at um and have the advantage on but there are still a lot of things that I would say that we have um, the historical advantage on. Let's like, if we take China, for example, like they're the one of the um, number one superpowers or aspiring superpowers in the world right now with military R&D. And I'll say, I'll say like their capability to build out different programs and um, uh, develop things and push it out to their military force and build up the military force. They've and this is something you can Google. They've they've outpaced uh, us for the last ten years astronomically, and that's something we've been aware of. Um, but we still held, hold a tactical advantage and a, an operational and a strategic advantage on our capability of employing. So, um, so we have the experience. Basically, they study what we've done through our warfare history through World War II, Vietnam, uh, whether we were successful or unsuccessful. Uh, and all of the years that we spent in Iraq and the Middle East, that's still experience. We have employing global forces, doing aircraft carrier operations in combat. So like we have that, they know that we have that operational capability and experience. So I I just, the short answer is yes, most definitely in some ways. uh, Other nations do outpace us in, in different regards and do have their strengths that come over us, but we also have our own Uh, that I think it kind of balances out, to be honest, because we do have our shortcomings, especially like you'll read about, you know, we have the F-35s and stuff, but our ship's getting older. We're trying to build a new fleet Mm. things like that. But, you know, China's cranking out new destroyers and carriers of their own, like, clockwork, like, that we haven't really kept up with. So, um, yeah, I I definitely try not to give a biased answer because it's definitely not a, a, a biased answer. It's a nuanced one, I believe.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Yeah, uh, I think though one thing that people underestimate is the problem with America for other nations, mm-hmm. and this is any other nation, uh, or or hostile for a force uh, would be occupying us because we got rednecks <laughs> and we got gangbangers. <laughs> yeah, and, everyone uh, has a gun. <laughs> every more than one gun. Yeah. So it's not like any other nation where you would go in. And as much as I think the biggest mistake a foreign force could do is unify all of the different uh, entities in America. Because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, a lot of times your rednecks would be like, normally think they would be adversaries to the gangbangers. But if somebody <laughs> come in hostile, they would unify, and that would be a problem.
1: I mean, it's the same thing that we experienced <laughs> in Afghanistan for 20 years, you know, yeah.
0: whether whether people think that that's
1: a, you know, there's a, a political center around that, of how people feel about that. But, I mean, that's the same thing as... We spent 20 years pretty much trying to build relationships and influence and, you know, um, make a democracy, say, less, more or less there. Um, and it was just the the guerrilla warfare that, that took place there and the factions, like you're talking about, mm. um, that held us in, in, in peril there for 20 years just from that. And they had limited—some of those groups were very limited in, in their ability. Um, some of them, of you know, course, funded through different proxies, of course, but— um, it's not like the amount of density of, um, civilian armed civilian here definitely is way more than you would say in some of the places that we experience so much trouble in, mm-hmm. you know, Afghanistan was never, it was never successful. Every war that they've been in, they've actually come out on top with mm-hmm. between us and Russia. Um, so I, I could only imagine, um, how hard it would be for, an occupying country as well I think it's uh, I think a lot of countries look at that and they do scratch their heads a little bit of like how if we were going to do it how would we do it um, and to tell the truth that we have we have really good homeland uh, defense I mean uh, the Department of Homeland Security is, is actually really good mm-hmm. with setting up protection for the country uh, and of course the different military capability we have for doing that so
0: yeah Americans are just different and I don't know if you've gotten experience this traveling but when I did my traveling abroad mm-hmm. especially in Asia you can tell an American yeah you know, like in Europe, a lot of times they may look like an American, but you can just physically. Yeah. But as soon as they move or talk, you're like, "Oh, that's an American,"
1: especially from the South. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're from Louisiana. We're like louder. <laughs> we're
0: always way overconfident, yeah. and you know, uh, we don't care about your country. We're gonna take about our country. You yeah. know, like it's just <laughs> Americans are so. I, I, I joke about it, but it, it's it, true. It's a it's yeah. a, a deering quality sometimes. I think, and I just think that. I think people worry a whole lot about the, the international stage. I have my own political views of what we should or shouldn't do and all that. Definitely. Uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately, I think that we're very blessed to be here. You know, I think we're very blessed to be in, in a nation that has people like you that are Thank awesome you. humans and that are willing to go out there, you and my son, and willing to sacrifice really their lives, not just actually their lives, but literally your life. Like you're there. For all these years, and uh, I think people take it for granted, their ability to run their mouth, everybody watching this, to talk smack about my hair or to talk smack about (laughs) any component of whatever we do is a freedom that other nations, many, many other nations don't have. And the reason we have it is because of you guys. Thank you. So it's, it's very, uh, a very honorable thing you're doing.
1: You know, I was talking to my dad about this a second. ago. you know, my dad has crazy views and stuff. And he was like, you know, I, I think everybody should have to join the military for two years, you know, right when they graduate high school. You know, they, he goes on his rant or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Dad, you're wrong. Like, that's, I completely disagree with that. And he's like, I thought you would agree with that. And I'm like, no. Uh, the reason our military is the way it is and our government service is so strong and the capabilities we have is because we have a volunteer force because mm-hmm. we have the ability for people to say, I want to do this. I want to spend my time doing this. I think it's a mission that I want to uh, to fulfill and a call that I want to answer instead of being forced into it. Yeah. So uh, I definitely, like, you know, we are lucky in a country. Of course, there's always you know, the draft situation, but mm-hmm. time of war or whatever. But for the most part, our service is 100% volunteer and, mm-hmm. and government service is, is the same way. So... I definitely think that is one strong suit of our our country.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think, though, we need to do better on taking care of (laughs) y'all. Because, like, I've seen Alex's paycheck, and of course yours would be different as an officer, and I've also seen how uh, I'm frustrated that he has to pay for his food and uniform and all. I thought that was all given to him. I didn't know that it comes out of the check. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, crappy. And so, of course, I have no ability to, right now to make any change on it. But if I did, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that needs to be addressed. There's no reason why that you should be b- the best paid, the best outfitted, and and you know I, I, the best healthcare. All these things for these people that are frontline defense for us.
1: Well, I'd love to talk to Alex. I think he would do well as a as an officer. I think if he ever wanted to go that route, he, I would definitely uh, like to talk to him about it because you know I, I know him growing mm-hmm. up. And he's a good kid, and I I watched him teach classes. And I watched him as a leader. And I think he would do well if he transitioned over, you know, if he let the Navy get him an degree, and then, you know, if the, the special warfare thing didn't work out, because uh, I know he's still trying to gun for that one, and I think he could do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely think he would be, he would make a good officer and a good leader, so.
0: Well, as his father, I mean, he's proud of him either way. And, uh, you know, if he's, it, I, I, but I do worry. Like, when he first got in that program, mm-hmm. um, I literally had nightmares. Yeah. Like, I think I may have told you I started doing the mar- – I did that marathon training. I started running. I literally got up. Uh, he left like February 1st, snowed real bad the next week, and I was like really struggling with him being gone because it was my – hes my Alex is my oldest, and he's uh, the first of, the chil- of my children that I had that was like gone, and I didn't have the ability to protect him. Yeah. And my whole adult life, I've been a father. Yeah. And so I was really struggling with my own identity, to be honest. And so I got up, put on all these clothes – And was running in the snow. I ran like seven or eight miles crying the whole time. So I'm sure if somebody was driving by there, look at this crazy guy. And I was like, I love you, son. Like, You know, I was like, (laughs) J.V. Goggins in the snow. And then I was like, I'm going to run a marathon for him. So I made these that say, we got you, Alex. Carry the boats. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. uh, And I had a little running group I developed, all because I was trying to – it was a way for me to try to be okay with the fact that he – I saw evil as a cop. Mm -hmm. So I could only imagine – what service people can see abroad yeah and i was really struggling with the fact that my son might deal with evil on a level that i hadn't and then i wasn't there to protect him yeah uh but, so anyway i think about that with i think about that anytime i see any military service person and how they i feel like often are underappreciated by fellow americans appreciate that it pisses me off <laughs> Yeah, because people don't realize. I know how I was changed as a cop, and so the peop, the thing that service people see, especially people front lines, mm-hmm. I can only imagine. But even people that are in the the drone thing, yeah, having to see all that and then do that at a distance, is still got to mess with you. Oh, definitely, you know? yeah. Like, I I'd, definitely got PTSD. <laughs> definitely messed up.
1: Well, I remember that one time. I don't know how you would do it. You would come to the school, and you would, no matter what happened that day from being a police officer, you would never let it phase you. Because one time we were standing there, we were about to teach class, and I noticed this, like, half-bleeding, like, soaked-in-blood garment on your arm. And I'm like, Mr. Mason, what happened to you? And you're like, oh, a crackhead threw a machete at me. And I'm like – So still got the was... scar from it. <laughs> I got the scar just, on my arm. Just, just coming to teach the Tiny Tigers right after some dude <laughs> chucked a machete at your yeah. head. like.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't long after that I realized that, uh, that there's – it was a little bit after that, maybe. When I finally decided I needed to do something else is I kicked a door in on a guy that was armed, mm. and I just walked up in there with a taser, and it was because I was like, I'm the police. Mm. you know. What I and then yeah. the gun was pointed right at me. I'm very lucky he didn't shoot me, and uh, I was like, I backed out. All the other cops were hiding on the side of the house, mm. and when I walked up, he had, this guy had busted the windows out of the top window and had <laughs> shot out everywhere. And when I got there, we couldn't get him on the radio. I'm the supervisor, so I get there and they're hiding on the side of the house, stacked up. And I go, "What are you doing?" They go, "Well, well he's he got a gun." I was like, "But you're the police." You know? <laughs> so I go, "Boot," kick the door in. I go in there, and then he's got the gun. I was like, "He's got a gun! He's got a gun!" And they go, "He like, told you he's got a gun." Yeah. And uh, I realized that was a mistake. Yeah, yeah I needed to do something different because I wasn't scared at all, which is a problem. That's well, you, not a that's not a good thing. Yeah. I was I was just desensitized to the whole thing.
1: How about afterwards, like when you sat down and thought about it, did it did it come? Uh, back I realized to you
0: that yeah, I realized how close that I came to probably dying right then. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I just wasn't afraid. I felt like I was the best one to handle it. I mm. could handle it. I was going to handle it. And then, uh, but I stopped getting. I, I vividly remember my first traffic stop. Not to keep getting on tangents, which I said I would no. do. <laughs> but at my first traffic stop was a, a preacher. Uh, it was a van uh, one morning, a Sunday morning, I stopped this van by myself. First one I did alone. And I remember I was shaking because mm. uh, it was Sunday morning and this guy, he gets out of the van, which is a bad sign. Yeah. And it's just because he was an older guy and he wanted to talk to me about what was up. And I was like, sir, stop, stop, you know, get back in your vehicle and all that. And I remember being so nervous. And then fast forward to, you know, I pulled over a carload of burglars that had just broken a house. They're all iron- armed. There's five of them. And I get out and challenge all of just. Not that because I was bad, it was that you get desensitized yeah. to those different in, in, environments, and then you make, then you start seeing you have a dark sense of humor too. That you'll make jokes, and other people are like, "What's wrong with this guy?" And you're yeah. like, "I thought it was funny," you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I yeah. mean, it's just it changes you, and, I, and yeah. I think that military guys and girls can relate to that because the experience is, I think with healthcare, is what it is. part of reason why she and I, I think hit it off well is she was an ER nurse mm. and specifically with ER nurses they see a lot of trauma I was seeing a lot of trauma and so we would joke and she would get the jokes because we were dealing with the same kind of trauma and I think that's a lot of times why you have cops and nurses you know that end up together in different, different <laughs> so I say I'm trying to say a way that sometimes they're not initially together they're with other people but then they end up together because you know it's, they can relate to what's going on. That makes
1: sense. Do yeah. you think that that affects uh, a lot of the cases that you've seen as a lawyer, like that desensitati- t- desensitization of uh, the job itself, like landing a lot of cops in hot water or just like situations is like part of the job. Has that ever been a defense that you've used? Like, I've been there, I know how it is kind of thing.
0: Uh, I don't know if it's been there for me to defend the cops because I, I use it in the way I know what they did or didn't do. Mm. But it's more that I have... I don't want to say rose to prominence, but gained a lot of experience that other lawyers haven't as a defense lawyer quickly because I was already acclimated to extreme stress. So like a lot of lawyers will go their whole career and not have one jury trial. It's one of the most stressful things they would do. My first jury trial was three days after I was licensed as a lawyer, my very first one. Really? And at this point, I've lost count of how many I've done. I mean, murder trials, rape trials, all kinds of jury trials, and won them. Mm-hmm. So go and win them. Uh, and so I think part of that is, is my ability to be desensitized to the fact that I'm defending someone accused of some very heinous things, and I'm able to sit back, I do my job, and I want to win, mm-hmm. you know. But sometimes a win is not uh, getting them off at a trial. Sometimes it's getting them a good plea agreement, yeah. you know, if the stuff's bad, if the the facts are bad or, and the evidence is bad. But yeah, I think that that has helped me as a defense lawyer because, like I was just telling y'all when you first walked in, that I get a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of hostility towards me a lot of times that that really should be for my client, maybe. But, you know, I, I get it because I'm defending this person. So. Yeah. Have you ever seen of Spies with Tom Hanks?
1: I don't think so. I think you should watch it. It's, uh, it's I don't say an older movie, it's a younger Tom Hanks, mm. uh, but he is a young self-defense uh, attorney that has to defend a uh, Russian KGB spy that, that was apprehended for espionage, and he has to do a defense trial for him, and he's experiencing all that hate, mm. and uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's based on a true story, too. Uh, and then he ends up yeah, spoiler, if you haven't seen, him, I mean, I think this's been out for a while, but uh, he has to, he gets contracted by the CIA to help broker a deal between an agreement for a uh, prisoner exchange because this guy trusts him and you know the government trusts mm-hmm. him because he's worked with them. Um, and he ends up going uh, to Berlin to do a prisoner swap. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't want it to spoil it for everybody. but it, it reminded me of that that he's a defense attorney, and you know he, he holds true to that everyone deserves the right regardless of what they've done. Um, And that's the only way that our our justice system works is to have both sides of it and to have fair representation. But, like, people are attacking him, throwing bricks in his house, going after his family. Yeah,
0: well, the thing that I get frustrated with that is they are innocent Mm -hmm. unless, until and unless, they're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. They are innocent. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've had clients that I've gone on record saying, yes, they maintain their innocence because they're innocent. Mm -hmm. Legally, they're innocent until they're proven guilty. And like John Adams, imagine back in the American Revolution, you know, he defended the British mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, what was the Boston Massacre shooting. Nobody else wanted it. That would be like representing yeah. Hamas now or yeah. Al Qaeda. You know, like oh, we couldn't. We, and he was so strongly believed in the right to represent fair trial and representation that he represented these British that arguably, at the time, they thought had killed their um, you know, they their occupying force that yeah. had killed their their brethren and And he he stepped up, and of course he became second president eventually. But he realized, just as I realize, it is a, a fundamental um, fundamental right in our under our constitution for people to get a, a a fair trial and have a fervent defense. Not just a lawyer that's standing there by them, but a lawyer that has done all that was possible to defend their rights. Mm-hmm. No matter what color they are, what sexuality they are, what pronouns they use, none of that matters. It's they're a human being that deserves a right to be defended. And that doesn't mean that we get them off all the time, like yeah. I said. But if I have any bias on that or allow any of that to play into my position, whether they're guilt, they actually did the offense or not, then to me the system doesn't work. And if you don't have lawyers that think that way, that's scary to me so anyway I, I kind of take the hate as a red badge of courage mm-hmm. when people and also to me it's some ignorance because it's all fun and games till you're accused of something yeah and you then know i mean
1: you're wishing that you had somebody in your yeah, yeah yeah
0: so and then i figured that those people eventually might come back so i i don't i don't judge i don't hate anybody else that throws the hate this way you know sometimes i feel bad for them for thinking that way but i understand my job i understand the assignment and then i'm just going to do the assignment so for the moment so anyway all right. Well, I've I've taken enough of y'all's time, and no, I'm sure you really want to use it. what. You, are you going back Sunday? But you're not going to like you're stationed somewhere now, right? Yeah, so Station in to, D.C. In oh, Washington, nice. D.C., nice.
1: So I'm up there, so we'll drive back, and I'll be home. Well, so this is home. But I, I be, understand. Yeah. I understand.
0: Cool. Yeah, cool. Back to the grind. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming in, Gunner, Thanks and for one me. visiting, but but two even doing the podcast well, and stuff definitely. with me. So it was very uh, very good to see you. I told him Madeline, and maybe tomorrow. Of course, I got to go to that funeral. But after that, uh, she's got testing in Millington too. There's Taekwondo testing tomorrow. Oh, nice! And uh, after that, we might be able to hook up with them for lunch or something if they're around. I'd love to. Uh, Josh is going through our ads there. Of course, download the boys' album uh, and well, follow I got, us on. I got to that one. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I thought I missed it. It's just, <laughs> it's just follow us on Kicking kick Lawyer on Instagram. Uh, that's Austin, my middle boy. You remember Austin, the oh, one yeah. on the right. That, that's him there. Anyway, that's his band, N.A. The Band. And uh, they do have a great album out, Inside My Head. It's free. Just download that. Nice. And Michelle Allen is a uh, longtime sponsor of the show. Buying, selling, renting, leasing real estate. Holler at her. She'd be glad to help you out. And then, uh, of course, we talked about Mason's High Octane Martial Arts uh, that Gunner is a product of. We've been open since 93 and now have the second location in Millington. You can just visit masonsmartialarts.com. We have some 30-year anniversary specials going on. Uh, then the new business I'm working on is Jam Books and Records. That's why I got all these records over there and books in the hallway. Uh, hopefully that place will be open soon. You guys can check us out on the square in Covington. And then Josh will help you with your online branding, website design, commercials, drone footage. Just visit MasoniteMarketing.com. And we will hope to see you again on another Law Talk. Again, it's, we try to do them every Tuesday at 5 or at least pre-record and post them for you every Tuesday at 5. And we'll see you guys next time. Keep kicking. Thanks for watching, guys. Just remember that this is not legal advice or investment advice or business advice. This is for fun and entertainment purposes only.